Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine this morning. <clears throat> that friend is uh, Charlie Brown. I used to read Peanuts all the time, but we have not gotten a newspaper, a physical newspaper now for several years, and so it's not as easy to keep up with it. One day, Linus said to Charlie Brown, to, <clears throat> to Charlie, when I get big, I'm going to be a humble little country doctor. And he con continued by saying, I'll live in the city, see? And every morning I'll get up and climb into my sports car and zoom into the country. <clears throat> then I'll start healing people. I'll heal everybody for miles around. And I'll be a world famous, humble little country doctor. Humility is a tough thing, isn't it? It's something that all of us admire but it's a battle that we fight all the time. And the passage of scripture before us this morning is one that speaks to the issue of humility and does so in a particular context. It does it in the context of something that all of us have experienced during this past year. <clears throat> it speaks to humility in the midst of the transitions of life. And so, if you will, I will ask you to stand one more time and to read with me this morning as we read responsively from John chapter 3. This is the Gospel of John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. As we normally do, I will read the white print, and if you'll join me in reading the yellow. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And they came to John. Thank you, my eyes dropped down to the last verse. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Jesus answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been set ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. 
he who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For whom God has sent speaks the words of God, and he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Thank you. Please be seated. You'll remember that in the first part of the Gospel of John, Jesus was meeting with a Pharisee, a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. And those famous verses are recorded in that passage of Scripture about the necessity of being born again. And Jesus making the statement that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those words are so precious to us and that conversation with Nicodemus is so important. We focused on that in these last two weeks as we have been studying together. But the scene changes at this point and we move from the city of Jerusalem the capital of, of, of Israel, we move out into the land of Judea to John's ministry. And you will recall that John the Baptist is a prophet in the Old Testament sense of a prophet, that he has appeared in the land of Israel kind of out of nowhere. He's lived in the wilderness. He's lived off of the wilderness. And he suddenly appears and begins to preach a baptism of repentance and the early chapters of John tell us that all of the nation of, of Israel was going out to him from Jerusalem and from the cities, from Galilee and from Samaria and so forth. Everybody was coming to John to express their, their belief in his message and to be baptized. And so we have Jesus now moving into that area. And there are two sets of verses that provide bookends to the event that takes place in the passage. And you need to think of it that way as you read the text and as we consider it this morning. The first three verses say, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing because there was much water there. Many people were being baptized. John had not yet been thrown into prison. So John is telling us, the, the writer of the Gospel of John, is telling us that John the Baptist is conducting this ministry out in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, here's a map of the land of Israel, and I know it's hard for you to read if you know the major reference points, like the Sea of Galilee up here at the top, and the Dead Sea down here. Jerusalem is right over here. And according to many, when you look at a map, um, this is the area that they claim that these events took place right here. We're along the Jordan River that runs down this gorge. Personally, I think it's further south than that. I think the location is down in this area somewhere for a couple of reasons. One, it says that it was in Judea. And if you look at the map, this is Samaria up here. And so if they're in this area, you're very close to Samaria, if not actually in Samaria. If you're down here, you're in Judea in the south. And then it also says in chapter 4, as we read the first verses in chapter 4, that Jesus left that site and he was going to Galilee, which is up here, 
but he had to pass through Samaria and he went to Sychar, which is right here. So it seems more likely that we're in the southern area of the Jordan River where this takes place. The point is not so much the location or else John would have been even more specific. The point is what happens at this point and that is that Jesus comes with his disciples and he camps out next door to John. John has been baptizing. John has had this ministry, amazing ministry. He appears out of nowhere and thousands of people are being baptized and he's proclaiming that he is the forerunner of the Messiah. Now Jesus, following the sign that he performed in Jerusalem by cleansing the temple and other signs, and the conversation with Nicodemus comes and camps next door. Think of it like like you go to summer camp, right? You go to, to um, a, a place where you enjoy the, the beach and, and swimming and all that sort of thing. And that wasn't exactly what they were doing, but that's the kind of an area. And Jesus takes the campsite next to John. And Jesus is baptizing disciples also. And then we read at the end of this section in chapter four, verses one through three, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself wasn't baptizing, but his disciples were doing the baptizing, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. So Jesus deliberately comes and spends time next to John as John is carrying out this ministry. What The writer, John, the son of Zebedee, is telling us is about the transition that takes place between John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. And so we have these famous words that are sort of underscoring the whole point from John's perspective. John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so what we have are three things that are helpful for you and me as we understand this event in the life of Jesus and John the Baptist and the disciples, three things that help us as we deal with transitions in our lives. And we all deal with it. This year has been a year of amazing transitions. People have had to transition in how they work. They've had a transition in their jobs, in their bosses, in circumstances, in their families, and so forth. And the first thing we have to do is we have to recognize our sovereign's rule. We have to recognize that God is the one who rules. Now, I've already kind of talked about the fact that Jesus sets up his ministry here. This is the area where he comes to spend time with his disciples. And you'll remember that in the beginning chapter, the first chapter of John, John was saying what about Jesus? He was saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was saying to the disciples, behold, the Son of God. And the disciples, two of them, John and Andrew, apparently, left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. And we had the record of them following Jesus, and they want to know where, where he lived, where was he staying, what was going on. And they began this ministry of following him as his disciples. What's happening at this point, as Jesus camps near to John, is that we have many of John's disciples going over to Jesus. And so as we come to this next little section, we read these words. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples 
with a Jew about purification. John the Apostle does not tell us exactly the nature of the discussion. But the word discussion means dispute. There was this ongoing argument about purification. It might have been related to the whole issue of baptism. It could have been that there were leaders of the Jews, we met them in the preceding section of the book, that the leaders of the Jews were arguing the way to be properly purified is to come through the Jewish system in Jerusalem. And John is the one who is baptizing, and now Jesus is also baptizing, and so that may be the issue. That's not the primary point, however, because of what happens in the text. Notice we read that they have this discussion going on, and it says they came to John, and they said, John, straighten out this discussion about purification, right? No. When they came to John, they said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, they don't even want to say Jesus' name. He who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. These disciples of John are defensive for John because John is losing all of his disciples. They're all going to Jesus. And it's, it was su it's such an abrupt change in the discussion here that it highlights the nature of their concern about what's taking place. It's kind of like what happened in the Old Testament. Remember when God put his spirit on 70 additional men to help Moses, and two of them refused to go out with the rest to the tabernacle, and they stayed in the camp, and they were prophesying in the camp. And, and Joshua came to Moses and said, Moses, Moses, a couple of these guys are not, they're not participating with us. They're not coming with everybody else. They're not recognizing your leadership. And Moses said to Joshua, relax, Josh. Call it, son. I would that God would put his spirit on every single person in the camp of Israel. We're not going to get bent out of shape over a couple of people who are not following what we perceive to be the protocols here. That's kind of where John's disciples are. They're saying, wait a minute, you've been working this whole time, and we've been supporting you. We've been here with you and so forth. And it's commendable. Their loyalty is commendable. Loyalty is a great thing. And they should be loyal. But John is recognizing a higher principle here. And so John says to them at this point that, um, that, that he told them that he is not the Messiah. To me, this abrupt change signals the degree of concern on the part of John's disciples. Think about it. John is six months older than Jesus, right? We know that from the Gospel of Luke. And a, and a priest would come into his ministry at about the age of 30, and we know that Jesus started his ministry at about the age of 30. So the likelihood is that John's ministry is about six months, maybe nine months long. So he has lived for 30 years. He has been reared by his parents to, as, a, as a Nazarite from birth. 
He has served the Lord as a prophet. He has lived in the wilderness. He has made Boku sacrifices for this ministry to which God has called him. He is living outside the system and he is seeing marvelous response. People from all over the land of Israel are coming and being baptized and recognizing John's ministry. And now Jesus comes and camps next door and everybody is leaving him and going to Jesus. How would you feel if you were John? In a couple of weeks, John is going to be arrested. And he's going to spend several weeks, maybe a couple of months or three months or six months or whatever, imprisoned by Herod. And then he's going to be executed. He doesn't know that. But Jesus knows it. And Jesus is camped next door. And Jesus is embracing all of these disciples who are coming from John, and Jesus' disciples are baptizing. And so it's at that point then that John recognizes the sovereignty of God, doesn't he? What he says at this point is, men receive only what God gives them. That's an amazing statement coming from John at this point. Some of us have, have, have ministries that we've built. Some of us have businesses that we have built. We have various kinds of relationships that we have built. And, and to face the fact that that could change is a very difficult thing to handle. And John's response is, a man can receive nothing unless it comes to him from heaven. And so John is recognizing that this transition is taking place. He is sharing with them that this is something that is ordained of God. And he recognizes that sovereign hand of God. Humility recognizes the sovereignty of God in everything that we have and everything that we do. And it's important for us to have that kind of a handle on things in our lives because we lose perspective otherwise. So the question here would be, how does the sovereignty of God affect my everyday life? And one writer has put it this way. He said, faith is not always to understand what God is doing, but it is to stand under God's sovereignty even when we don't have a clue about what he's doing. And so we have to accept the fact that God brings these changes in our lives. God is the one who is going to, who's going to work out his plans. And it may not go where you or I think it should go. We have to be open to the sovereignty of God. And that's where John was. He recognizes that God is sovereign and ultimately God is the one who grants anything that we might have, any area of ministry, any possessions that we might have in our lives. So that's where it starts as we deal with transition. It's recognizing the sovereignty of God. Secondly, we have to recognize our own role as a servant. You have to recognize your servant's role. And so we read these words as John continues. He says, you yourselves are witnesses that I said to you, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. 
And so what John says to his disciples is, I told you I'm the forerunner, not the Messiah. By definition, a forerunner goes before somebody else. A forerunner announces someone. The person who announces the president doesn't step up and take over the podium. He backs away and he lets the president step in. That's the way it is, a forerunner. John says, I told you this. I've been telling you this all along, guys. But see, they, sometimes you lose the perspective in the process. And so what John is doing is reminding them that he is a servant, that he is the forerunner. He uses an analogy here that all of us would be familiar with. He says, I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. Or he didn't say it exactly like that. He might be the second best. I don't know what he's thinking there exactly. But he's a friend of the bridegroom. And when you go to a wedding, it's not about the best man. It's not about the groomsmen. It's not really about the bridesmaids. It's about the groom and the bride. And that's what John is saying. He's saying, I'm not the, I'm not the, the, the groom I am the friend of the groom. And so John points out the importance of that. And he's basically saying, remember your role as a servant. Remember where you are. Remember how you have been designated and appointed by God. That's important for us. And John rejoices at Jesus' success. His disciples are stressing at Jesus' success. They don't like it that everybody's moving away. I don't know if they got comfortable in the ministry. I don't know what all is happening, but they um, are stressing out about that. And John says, my joy is full, just like the joy of the best man at a wedding. And he makes this amazing statement. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That is a very powerful attitude to have. In all of the things of life, all of the things that are part of us. Because what happens is that we lose perspective. If we gain some success like John did, we tend to lose the perspective of who we are and what we are. Now, we see this kind of thing happening all around us, right? Of people losing perspective, of servants coming to think of themselves as owners. Jesus taught a parable that did that, or you have this kind of thing going on in our world all the time. Public servants forget that they are servants. Gandhi said it this way. He said, service which is rendered without joy helps neither the servant nor the served, but all other pleasures and possessions pale into nothingness before service which is rendered in a spirit of joy. I think that's an amazing statement. And I want to tell you today about Alicia Campbell. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about her. For the last four or five months, I have had some uh, ongoing conversations and dealings with the New Jersey Division of Taxation. You know, that's New Jersey's version of the IRS, right? And so uh, you all, almost all of you live in New Jersey, so you know what this is like. And I've been calling them, and as a result of COVID, everybody's work, almost everybody's working from home. 
So what I found when I tried to call was I couldn't get through. I would call and they, they would say, there's no one to take your call today. You can't have office hours. You, you have to make arrangements way ahead to get office hours. There's only a handful of people being allowed into the office. So you have to do everything over the phone and people are working from home. So calls are relayed, right? So I would call and I wouldn't get through and I would call and I wouldn't get through. And finally I'd get through and I would talk to somebody. And that person might say to me something like, well, I don't see the paperwork in the system. Or the paperwork, one day I got, the paperwork hasn't come from the county yet. And there were a number of things that were happening. And to, the, and to their credit, that I don't dispute that. It's just part of the problem, part of the issue that was involved. And so over a period of months, I'm making these phone calls. Sometimes I get through, sometimes I don't. Every time when I get through, I talk to somebody different. Finally, a few weeks ago, when I got through, I hooked up with Alicia Campbell. And she was the best. She took my information. She said, let me see what I can find in the system. And so she took down all the information. She said, I see the paperwork in the system here. Let me work on it and I'll call you back. Well, you know what that means, right? She called me back. She called me back and she said, I have found all the paperwork here and, and it looks like you're in a position to receive this refund and so forth. And um, she said, I'm, I'm going to send the paperwork through and, and, and you should get the refund. And so um, I just was really grateful. So I said to her, we had several conversations over a period of three or four days to make this happen. And I said to her finally, I said, Alicia, she gave me her full name, she gave me her phone number, her direct line number, and all that sort of thing in case I needed to contact her. So I said to her at the end of the conversation, I said, is there somebody I can talk to? Is there somebody I can call or write a letter or send an email to thank them and to praise you in the system? And her response was, not really. This is my job. This is what we do. And so, Alicia Campbell, if you're out there somewhere watching, <laughs> you are one very fine public servant, and I appreciate you. <clears throat> By the way, Alicia, I didn't get the check yet. <clears throat> she said it could take up to 30 days. So, um, but don't you appreciate it when somebody renders service in that kind of a spirit? I think that's awesome. And there are a lot of people out there who are doing that. Some give others a bad rap, I know. The biblical position is stated this way. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so it's important for us to, to, re to remember that we are stewards, we are servants. We are managers of what belongs to someone else. It does not belong to us. Nothing that we have ultimately belongs to us. You know how I know that? Because as Job said, naked I came into this world and naked I'm going out of this world. And I'm not taking any of it with me. It's only what you send ahead that makes it into heaven. And so it's important for us to recognize that we are servants. John said, he must increase, I must decrease. Amazing statement on his part. Third thing that we have to recognize, we, we have to recognize the sovereign's rule. We have to recognize that God's in charge. God makes the, makes the plan.
plans and all that sort of thing. Secondly, we have to recognize that we are servants. And thirdly, we have to recognize our successors rise. You have to recognize that God is going to bring someone else along the way. And so John goes on to talk about Jesus at this point. He says he is the one who, uh, who is above all. He recognizes Jesus' origin. He is above all. He is the one who has come from heaven. Secondly, he is the one who testifies what he has seen in heaven. And so this one, he's saying, is far superior to me. And he already said that. Remember back in chapter 1? He said, the one who's coming after me, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not worthy in his presence. So John has been prepared by his parents. Remember the story about Elizabeth and Zacharias and how they knew that John was to be the forerunner and that, that Mary's son was to be the Messiah? And so John's cousin would be the one who would come after him to be the Messiah. And so they have prepared him. Parents, our job in life is to prepare our children to be God's servants. And that's what Elizabeth and Zacharias have done for John. And now John is able to testify that Jesus is greater than he is. And that Jesus has come from heaven, and he is the one who speaks the words of God that need to be received. And then Jesus, uh, John accepts the fact that Jesus is God's son. What we read in the text, he says, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And whoever believes in the Son, whoever has this personal relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, has eternal life. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, you don't have life. But not only do you not have life, the wrath of God abides on that person. And so John has this really healthy attitude about Jesus. Now, your successor, my successor, is not Jesus right? Our successors are not perfect, but we still have to accept those whom God appoints to come along after us. We still have to be open to the fact that we're not going to live forever. We're not going to minister forever, that God has this plan and he is working in various ministries, in various locations, in all of the circumstances of our lives that we have to understand that these successors are ordained of God. Clearly, the scripture says there is no authority but what comes from God, Romans chapter 13. And so when God brings a leader, when God brings someone to succeed you in your role, in your ministry, in your life, in your situation, we have to acknowledge that. We have to accept that. They must be acknowledged because we recognize God's sovereignty because we recognize our servant's role, we have to recognize that one day a servant will replace every one of us. One day somebody else will be there to do uh, that for that ministry where you are serving. One area where this is hard for people sometimes is when our kids get married. Do you ever find it hard to accept your son or your daughter's spouse and recognize that that spouse has become 
the most important person in that individual's life and has replaced you. You are no longer the voice. You are no longer the authority. This one that you have raised from the infancy and you have sat with them and prepared them and so forth, no longer are you the one that has the say in their lives. That's hard for some parents, harder for some than others. But it's something that we recognize, this idea of succession. I think public school teachers are to be servants as well. And there are many who are, who are committed and anxious to do the very best possible job. We recognize the importance of servants and stewards. And that's what John is saying to us in the passage, that we recognize the importance of the fact that Jesus must increase, I must decrease. And, and that's going to happen to every one of us at some point along the way. So here's the, here's the principle as I pull all of this together this morning. Recognizing God's sovereign administration provides for a humble ministry transition. And you can put something else in there besides ministry. A humble family transition. A humble vocational transition. There are all sorts of transitions that take place. In the passage, it's talking about ministry. And when we recognize God's sovereign administration, that he's the one who gives us whatever gifts we have, he's the one who gives us whatever ministry we have, whatever influence, whatever sphere we might have, it comes from the Lord. When the day comes that that changes, then we have to be willing to accept that. So, three things. One, remember that you're a servant. Two, rehearse God's grace. Talk about, write out many times how God has been gracious to you, how he has provided for us, how he has given us opportunities to serve, all of the blessings that we have. As we rehearse the grace of God, we're reminding ourselves that everything that we have comes from his hand, comes from him. It's not something that we have that we have derived ourselves. And so rehearse God's grace, and then thirdly, hold your place loosely. Wherever it is God has placed you, stand in that place, do the job, but don't be grabby, don't, don't cling to that. Allow God to do what he wants to do when it comes to those kinds of transitions that take place. Will you stand with me as we pray? and conclude this morning. Father, how we thank you this morning for John the Baptist. What an amazing man he was and is. He did not know what was coming in terms of all the details, but he knew he was there to point the way to Jesus. Help us to do likewise, Father, to point the way to Jesus to exercise whatever office, whatever relationships, whatever position, whatever rank we may have, as under your sovereignty, as servants, and as those who know that we will not serve forever in those positions. May we be like John the Baptist 
as we say of ourselves, he must increase, but I must decrease. Help us, Lord, to, to so live and so move in this world and in this culture that we are pleasing to you in all that we do, even as John was. I pray these things as we ask them in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.